Hello there and happy new year. We have such a fun interview today with Raven Scott. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about our interview. So Raven Scott is an author and she is passionate about helping parents find their child's unique energy blueprint. So we're going to talk about conscious parenting and how understanding how our child is different through human design can actually help us parent our children better, have more compassion and understanding at meeting our children with their unique personalities. Welcome to Toddler Toolkit Podcast, the ultimate parenting guide tailored for the unique challenges of raising twins, multiple kids, or little ones close in age. Hi, I'm Heather, master's in education and proud twin mama of busy toddlers. You might have tried advice tailored for one child, but that's not our journey, right? With a decade of teaching experience under my belt, I've seen it all from toddlers to teenagers in the classroom. Now, as a parent to two toddlers, I'm experiencing the flip side of the coin. So whether you have two under two or just looking for tips that work in tandem, you're in the right place. Let's unlock the secrets to understanding toddler behavior, preventing meltdowns, and raising intuitive, resilient children who listen in two seconds. All right. I'm so excited for today's podcast, parents. Today we have Raven Scott here, and I just want to introduce you to her. So Raven is a spiritual healer of victims of narcissistic abuse and a human design interpreter who is here to share with us how to consciously guide your child according to their unique energy blueprint. That sounds really cool. She's also the author of Empath and the Narcissist, and her new book is called An Empath's Guide to Rising Strong. All right, so empath and narcissist. Wow. So some of our listeners might not be aware of what an empath is or what that means, but I bet some of them have heard the term narcissist before. It's kind of thrown around these days and it's shown up in pop culture, like Taylor Swift's song, Antihero, where she sings about the covert narcissist, but also maybe some of like those Netflix dating shows we've seen kind of interesting relationship dynamics or toxicity in relationships as well. But um, what do you think about that, Raven? Have you come across kind of people who are more have heard narcissism, but maybe not never really heard of what an empath is? Or what is your experience on that? Yeah, it's interesting. Usually they find the problem first, which makes sense because we want to alleviate the pain. They're like, okay, we're doing the research. I was really understanding like what is happening to me. And then of course, they find all about narcissism and learn about it. And then it, then they go, well, I'm not sure if I'm an empath, but you know, I seem to really relate to these, these qualities of being like a highly sensitive person and all that. So it's, it's the second part of their journey. It's like first they have to discover the problem and then they introspect and then they're like, well, first they're like, am I a narcissist? That's why they're researching it. And then they're like, okay, no, I don't think so but am i an empath and that's usually the journey it takes yeah yeah it is so interesting and honestly that is kind of how i kind of fell upon it you know like through like youtube and some algorithm and it started like showing me empath stuff i'm like what is what is this empath thing and then it's so interesting how we kind of follow or fall into things and find out more about them so 
Could you describe to us a little bit more about what an empath is? I mean, we, we kind of, we kind of know that a narcissist is somebody who's self-absorbed, but it, once you learn about it, you realize, wow, it's way more than that, right? Like there's so many different aspects, but what is the empath? And your book is the empath and the narcissist. So interested to, to hear not like also what it is, but why is that dynamic together? Yeah. The empath is the highly sensitive person. I truly believe we're all born empaths. We're all born connected to our spirit and to source. And what happens is that life can beat us down sometimes. And sometimes that will take child development down a dark road of just survival and super egotistical and not taking our responsibility, constantly deflecting like, I didn't do that. You did that, you know, even Mm -hmm. though they blatantly did that. It's like you see that in kids in elementary school. But if you're not truly taught or conditioned, like, no, that's not right. It's okay to take responsibility. Like, you're not going to get in trouble. Like, this is where we learn our mistakes. Then it it molds certain people. And a whole bunch of other things also can factor into that, right? Like trauma. Or if there's no trauma, they're overindulged. And they have a parent who is also a narcissist. So it's also modeling. There's like a whole slew of recipes that can create a narcissist. but. On top of that, we have our impasse, right? The mm. we the impasse don't go down the dark path, but we can also internalize things, right? We can almost turn into against ourselves. Like we're not worthy, we're not strong enough, we're not good enough, we're not smart enough. These are all like the shadows of the empath. Okay. But truly the empath has that power and the light. And we are true healers. Um, and we're here to shine the light for the collective. You know, empaths really resonate with things like conscious parenting and you absorb things around you. You get really exhausted after you've been out in a big group. Like all of, those are all things and you can see that in your human design chart. Like what aspects do you have that are like empath traits that you may have like empath struggles with, right? Like oh, being exhausted okay. and and um being drained, you know? So they may call the narcissist an energy vampire because they see the light in the empath. This is where the dynamic kind of, of attraction happens. It's almost like an energetic, like, ooh, like they feel really good. They feel safe. They feel like they've, they're confident. And inside the narcissist is not confident. They're the, they're the most insecure. So they're, we're always kind of attracted to what we are lacking. And we may be lacking that self-worth and they have it outwardly. So we're like, Ooh, like, okay, like, so they both, like, both of our wounds attract and kind of get enmeshed and codependent. And so that's where that empath and narcissist dynamic happens. And it's not as simple as light and dark because we all have our different shadows, but an overarching branch is like the light path and the dark path merge. (laughs) You know, you're trying to find your way in the life and those two merge. Wow. I love that explanation. And um, just like how like the attraction, the different qualities and how we have different aspects in ourselves, whether it came from our parents or childhood or a sibling or other relationship dynamics that we might find down the road, uh, sometimes not always from childhood, but usually there's kind of like clues onto how we ended up. How did we end up getting attracted to a narcissistic person? Yeah. Um, so well, the one other layer I yeah. want to add to that, you said sibling, which is also mm-hmm. something that's often overlooked in more of my, my experience. Thinking, I was thinking it was parental, and we'll get into that, the authoritarian, which it might have, but also 
if it's normal, like your first buddy, your first person who teaches you how to be social with someone is your sibling. And if they have these traumas, these wounds, and these narcissistic traits that aren't corrected and given strong feedback by the parent in that moment, because the parent just didn't have the tools, they didn't know about narcissism, right? This is all coming out now. It was literally like a tiny paragraph in the DSM for psychologists. So the parents of our generation, they're not going to know about that. So you have that and it's like, oh, it's normal. Like this is just how I'm supposed to be treated. So that's why so often we uh, ignore the red flags as we're adults into our relationships because that's just that's just how people are. And you just give them a free pass and, you know, we just keep on going. Yeah, like exactly like. It's surprisingly shocking what can be normalized, made to seem normal from our childhood. And until you talk to other people, meet other people, it it doesn't necessarily shed light on that, but it also takes a certain level of self-awareness as well. And I love what you said about like that sibling dynamic that that possibly, you know, an older sibling or an other sibling is modeling also to the younger sibling, or even if there are siblings close in age, they're still that kind of dynamic, which I think we'll get into a little bit more in just a bit. It's super fascinating. There was these two quotes I really love from your book, Raven, The Empath and the Narcissist. So the first quote that really resonated with me was, all of us are conditioned at a very young age, and we also learn how to be and act through our mirror neurons in our brains, Raven Scott. So I feel like that is such an amazing quote because it really sums up like s- such a complex thing. <laughs> like, yes, th- there is a conditioning that does happen at a young age and we are, we're trying to fit into our tribe. And we're also, that's where we go back to what is normalized for us as a child. And just like the, the psychology and the brain science of it, like those mirror neurons, it, it kind of makes sense. And I think that's why we're seeing the rise in the conscious parenting, parents who are more self-aware, they want to support their children through their emotions instead of just like punishing a behavior. And so the parents who listen to this podcast know I talked a lot about that in my time out versus time in episode where we, we really looked at the research or lack of research for using time out as like a punishing a behavior versus time in supporting a child. So yeah, I think I think it's just really interesting to look into that kind of more conscious parenting, which I think is becoming more widespread now. And so Raven, would you say many of us were possibly parented the opposite of that of conscious parenting, more controlling authoritarian parenting style? Yeah, absolutely. And I've even had discussions with my mom about this. And she's like, well, there was just a book, right? Whatever was in the pop culture was this book that talked about you know, and it was very authoritarian. It was very like even the sleep training book that when I was a baby and I, I started reading it because my cousins were doing it. And I was like, I'm not doing this to my child. Like, no freaking way. Like, I'm not abandoning her and just letting her cry it out. Like, sorry, it may be more work, but this brain chemistry, it, like, this is just not, this is not for me. So yeah. And the authoritarian way also could be I remember hearing all the time like my mom didn't have those emotional tools to model because she didn't have it from from her mom right it's always this generational thing talking about the mirror neurons like you just learn from watching and you have the tool set that kind of was modeled for you before 
unless you really work, and that was, that's what I did is I really worked hard on rewriting those mirror neurons and, and looking into the conscious parenting. But I always heard all the time. It was like, because I said so. Like, she didn't know why. She just knew, like, if I'm going to be respected as a parent, like, you need to just do this because I said so. And you just need to do it. Like, I don't know why. And I, I don't have the tools to explain it to you. And, and if not, then, you know, there's punishment. I was a super sensitive child. So I think I got spanked one time. Whereas my sister, like, constantly <laughs> was a difficult child. And we also had religion in the household. So there was like this whole like scripture verse, you know, reading when she had, you know, her punishment. So it was like religious on top of authoritarian versus like, I just found, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to do that anyways, but like kids are pretty darn smart. Like if you explain to them why in their own little language, then they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, fine with it versus just saying, because they said so. So. Yeah, I think a lot of us, and I've heard so many, you know, hopping onto my calls as I'm sharing with them about their human design chart, because that's a big part of like, where are the areas that you were conditioned based on your upbringing? And also like, if someone has a certain center color, they're conditioning your open color, because that's just energetically what happens. And so, <laughs> yeah, they, they are like, I just didn't grow up in a very understanding household. I couldn't be my unique self. And I think that's where the that lack of knowing, I guess, and that generation of raising us children is like they didn't really allow space for uniqueness. I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not I'm not in the brains of my parents, but it, they did the best they could. That's all I know. Yeah, I definitely think, think, yeah, the, the like the resources were different back then. We have so many more resources now, like more of a collective resource where parents can go and kind of talk through things, different different apps and websites and forums. There, there's just so much more communication in that kind of way where our parents didn't have that. They probably just relied on how they were parented and carrying forth that generational whatever it is, if it's generational trauma or whatever, those those kind of traditional parenting authoritarian style, like you said, without being able to really kind of yeah. explain it. And there were some figures back then as well that that condoned certain types of parenting, like hitting or spanking or, or, or all different types, you know, of ways of dealing with with children. So I guess we're in, in some ways, we're very fortunate now to have all these resources that we didn't have. And I think, you know, what's happening now to us, like our generations, we we kind of went through that. And but then we have now this kind of reflection. And I still think even though we have these resources, we we don't necessarily always find it. Like for me, personally, I was trying to figure out kind of what was going on for the last few years. And it wasn't until I had my babies were born, my twins, that it really like hit me right on the head. <laughs> It just like brought up a lot of things. And I think I hear that when people have kids, it can kind of bring out things in themselves or in others around them. People who they thought would always be their friend suddenly disappear. Like my best friend, as soon as I was pregnant and having twins, my best friend was gone, just just disappeared. You know, uh, the jealousy issues with family members and boundaries. It's like the postpartum time we talk about, you know, is challenging just with all the hormones and the emotions. But then you throw on all these other kind of like social expectations and dynamics and like navigating boundaries. And if you do have narcissism, 
in your family system or your social circle, it, it is so tough. Personally, experiencing that is kind of what led me to become more self-aware and really care how I parented my twins and also led me to have this podcast and help parents. So, and I'm sure your, your struggles from the past too have led you to want to help others. You have two amazing books and you have your podcast as well to, to reach out and help yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, that, that the narcissists don't stick around when you need them. That's for <laughs> sure. And so you're yeah. kind of like stuck doing it on your own. Which does show you that you have grit and strength, but it it does suck in the moment. You're like, it really would be nice to have some help and, you know, some support. And wow, that's really telling about the commitment level and the priorities of your best friend. And it maybe made you reevaluate, like, who am I investing energy in? Yes. Obviously, she's Mm -hmm. not there for me. I thought she was my best friend. She's like, not doing it. Bye. Yeah, just peace, peace. Oh, babies. Okay, your life is different than mine. Peace out. And and I know people that I've heard parents say this happens with family members. Like they thought their parents were going to be around and supportive, and they they are not involved. So it can be surprising. Yeah. We kind of sometimes we don't talk through these things with these people, and like you know, are you going to be there? Because we just are like they are going to be there, but they're not always there, and then it's a I shock know. to the system. When it happens, you assume they're there. Yeah. I know. I, I, um, mine was two. My first was two, and they decided to retire to a different state. And I just assumed they were going to be there and help me and raise, you know, not like raise my kid with me, but, you know, be a little babysitter or whatever, right? I guess I took advantage of or the took for granted that. So I wasn't mentally prepared for that at all. But yeah, you just, you just do what you need to do. And, when I found out my first was a daughter, because I had fallen into this narcissistic abusive relationship, I just felt like I was not prepared. I was raised to be so naive. And I was like, what just happened? Like, this is never happening ever again to you. And then I discovered I was pregnant with a girl and I was like, okay, well, I got a lot of work to do. Like so many mirror neurons to rewrite, so much spiritual growth, so much like anything that I could do to grow and change, like literally change to be unrecognizable so that, you know, I could model and I could raise my daughters to recognize what a narcissist looks like and to not fall for the trap. You know, they'll be wooed for a couple of weeks, but then the the, the mask comes off and they're like, oh, no, I have 100% self-respect. Bye. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my goal. Yes. The worthiness, the the self-respect. These are all like really important things we want to teach our children. And and if yeah. we realize that we have these patterns through our relationships that we don't want our kids to repeat, that there is a way that we can, we can help support them age appropriate wise to guide them in a way to to, yeah, stand up for themselves, speak up for themselves, because that that can be very challenging if if you grew up without the tools to know how to do that. And then you're, you're going through life, just trying to figure, figuring it all out on your own. And uh, yeah. yeah. And I just think like, yeah, being a parent, becoming a parent is like a, a catalyst for like really diving deep into this stuff. And we, we care. And so the other quote that I really loved from your book was individuality is not always celebrated. So that really stuck deep to me because I do think it is true. 
I do see parents or people or systems like school systems, parents all over the place, just trying to really fit everybody into the same, like, this is how you should be. And then when I think about having twins who are two unique individuals and that difference and celebrating that difference is really important because it could easily be the twins, you know, it's like one birthday wish, one cake, one this one mm. that right and not get that individual yeah. kind of um but it, and i think it goes just it, you know twins is a great example of it cuz we can kind of visually see it but this is happening with not with twins like just siblings or even <laughs> even a single child can experience a lack of individuality so how do you think that individuality is like how is that not being recognized or considered for some of us, like in our own childhood or or how is that going about? Yeah, well, just a lack of awareness. Now, the the founder of Human Design, Ra'uhu, he downloaded and was inspired by creating this system from a spiritual download. And he said, this is for the children. And it happened in 1984. So essentially, it was for all the children born after that. But we still get to use the benefits as adults. But, you know, that that individuality of knowing how unique you are, it is something that is just it gets homogenized, like in the school. Everyone learn this way. Thankfully, they're kind of showing you lots of different ways to do math and you get to choose it now, which is cool and also frustrating when you're like, OK, I found my thing. I don't want to learn all the other ways to learn to mm-hmm. do math. But like we all process the math differently. And so it gives each child whichever strategy they do get to choose which i think is cool it's starting to be implemented but before we were raised it was like you just memorize it like that's it like that's how you do math <laughs> there was only one way and for some kids with certain energy maps like that was really hard so there's that way of not feeling like you can be individualized i think also teaching all of our kids to be nice and not drawing certain boundaries and not honoring those boundaries is also another slippery slope way of of not allowing individuality to be seen. I mean, even gender, right? Gender itself is something that doesn't allow a certain individual to be able to be fluid or to be what they really feel inside, but they look different, right? All these things which are being fought for now, we didn't even get to fight for that as kids. That would just, it is what it is. If you're a girl, you like pink. If you're a boy, you like blue. And like, that's not true. There are, I know, I remember one of my, my daughter, she's a 10 now. When she was in kindergarten, she really loved this certain ninja warrior show. And I knew based on her human design chart that what she likes and she's studying, she literally embodies so she was like, I want to get a haircut just like him. I want to dress just like him. So she literally started to dress like a boy. We cut her hair into a spike. And my parents were freaking out. They were like, yep, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah. we are just allowing her to express her individuality. If she's like this the rest of her life, awesome. If she's not, great. Like, I don't care. Like, this is what she's choosing. And it makes her really happy. And I remember after I cut her hair, she just looked at me and I could feel that like, you see me, you respect me, mom. And this is so awesome. And that's, that is all I, you know, I wish for every child to feel. But when we start to instill our fears, like, oh, well, what if, what if, you know, now she's going to, you know, trans or what if this is like, what if that, what if, you know, or like you're fine with the trans, but you're afraid of everyone else who's not, you know, at your the school and who's judging and 
all of our fears kind of, um, not kind of, they definitely dampen our children's individuality, which was a big thing is like, because I even had a twang of like, oh, but okay. And I just like dove in with her. So there's a whole slew of, of things that push us down into this homogenized Wow. I love that story because it it really does paint the picture of it for us. And I think like with the haircut and it being kind of against the grain on what most girls would do and uh, or kind of a haircut they would be allowed to have. I feel like if we, you know, as parents, if we are going to suppress a certain aspect of our child, it doesn't go away. Like just because if, if our child wants to express something, And if we're suppressing it or putting things on pedestals or making things like off the list, right, that that is just kicking cans down the road to show up and manifest in in different ways and maybe way more unhealthy ways because they weren't seen, felt or heard. Then they can't confide in their parents. And when they're teenagers, when we really want them to be able to open up to us, then we've already kind of trained our children to not and to get involved with maybe different friend groups and and that just opens a whole whole different pathway for kids so and all we could have done was just say yes to that haircut and support them and we could have been a totally different path right so i think that is really that kind of proactive conscious parenting that we're talking about is it's it's not just the thing itself but it's like the long term impact of our parenting and the choices our kids make. So I I love that you shared that. And something I really wanted to share, because I think this is very interesting, and and it's not very talked about very often, I'm very passionate about it. But there is a lot of research for twins to have struggles. You know, from the very beginning, resource scarcity is a struggle for twins. They both want parents or mom's attention, and they have to share it between two. They both want mommy's hug at the same time. So they're competing for attention right off of the start from babies. They want to get their needs met. Sometimes they have to wait. And whereas a single baby would have been held, they aren't. And they're waiting for that. And this all can lead to twin moms feeling burned out, which also can be mean twin moms can be less present, which also means that siblings tend to figure things out on their own, which can lead to kind of like a sibling rivalry competition, bullying, unhealthy comparisons of twins, not just from the twins themselves, but also from family members and friends. Accomplishments, comparisons, all those things can go down that road. And the expectation that twins are the same. And so there are different types of twins and that my twins are identical. So that means they have the same DNA, which is very wild to think about. But I I know, and a lot of other twin moms will tell you there are some differences in their twins, and 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 I hear you know different from different parents, but I feel like my twins have definitely different personalities and different strengths. Like the things that they are good at are different, but I think that's amazing because they can help each other out with their different strengths that they have and kind yeah. of support each other. So it's almost like a natural individuality, like <laughs> yeah, you know the way. Like, even though you may look identical, your brain and you, with the way you process things and your uh, the, your lens through life is different. 
it, it's your a strengths and your it's yeah. a different experience. It's a different body and and self and consciousness. So it's a different consciousness experience, yeah. even though there's so many similarities. And uh, I know some people describe like their twins as like yin and yang, but others say they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. a lot alike. So I think it just really depends. So it'll be really interesting to see what um you have to say about my twins. They are born in June, which makes them the Gemini horoscope. And I know most of us uh, have heard of horoscopes before that are listening. And so they're a Gemini horoscope, which surprisingly means the twins. So that's kind of funny how that <laughs> A double irony happened there. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I think a lot of our listeners, they probably heard of horoscopes before, but could you enlighten them about human design? And this is, and I, this is what you use to help parents understand their child's unique energy. Yes. Human design, like I said, it's really helped me go through a lot of my anxieties and worries as a parent and like really understanding what the heck is happening with my child right now, because Human design is a unique energy blueprint. It is it is incorporating astrology. It also incorporates uh, the I Ching, which is a Chinese, an ancient Chinese uh, divination system. It incorporates Kabbalah and also the chakra system. And then the science of neutrinos, which essentially describes how these planets in certain zodiacs actually affect us. So it's the the neutrons or tiny, teeny, minuscule masses coming from whatever fusion is coming down from, like, let's say, Jupiter or the sun. And those little particles imprint in our being the day of. Now, the human design chart gives you two different things, right? Your zodiac is the day of your born. Okay. But also, it gives us our unconscious, which is 88 degrees before we were born which is like beginning of the third trimester. Oh, that's so interesting. So it gives us a map of the foundation of our consciousness, the subconscious, and the day we're born, which is like our personality and things that we really show out to the world and that we recognize within ourselves. Wow, that's incredible. And so Raven is going to do a reading of my twins, Jason Skyler. And so we can kind of see the benefits of how it can help us be another tool in our toolbox for parenting. And uh, so to do this, I had to give Raven their their birth date, their time. And what else did I need to give their location? Location. Yeah. Yeah. And I can pull up your child's chart and even your chart too, because sometimes it helps with the dynamics that can be really difficult. Like I know we'll get into this, but I know I have a certain center open and both my children have that defined. So when they were upset, especially as toddlers, I was a hundred times more upset because I was amplifying that emotion center. So having both your charts is really helpful. If you just fill out yours and then just send me an email reply to that first email you get of your child's and I can pull up their chart for you for free as well. Oh, and how how do we find you? How do we get that? You can find that at ravenscott.show uh, on the homepage. Okay, great. There's Thank you. There's a little you. chart you can fill out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the new year, you might be thinking of some parenting goals for yourself or your family. I wanted to let you know I created Your Mom Journey Journal, which I absolutely love because it has some really important reflection questions. I don't think that you have to have a goal if you don't want one. But if there is something that's inspiring you and you have some intentions for the new year, I think this reflection is really helpful. So 
In the journal, we go through a mom reflection from 2023, and then we look at your new year journey as well. And if you would like to set some intentions or goals for yourself, I go over what actually makes a successful goal. Now, everybody is different. And so we definitely have to keep that in mind. What will work for one parent might not work for another mom or parent, right? And then I include a fun brain dump activity where you really get to know yourself, what matters to you, your strategy, and the steps that you would like to take to actually make it work, as well as offering support in my private Facebook community. You can get the link for the Mom Journey Journal in the show notes, as well as the Toddler Moms Collaboration and Support Facebook group to support you in the new year. So your twins' human design charts are identical because really uh, they're only two minutes off and nothing changes much except for maybe a few degrees on the astrology chart of um, something tiny, like I don't even think the moon, right? It's like the ascendant is the only thing that changes with the minutes. So this is what I love about twins' charts is they look identical on the chart, but like you said, but we all have unique experiences in life, a unique lens just so many different things that we are strong in uniquely that our twin may not be. So this is where I might ask you more questions about either one because the chart looks the same, but certain energy channels and things are going to manifest a little bit differently. And then they will have similarities, I'm sure, in some. Yes. And I like the, the only thing I know so far is from, you know, we've done like the horoscopes, like in my horoscope, I'm a Capricorn, my husband's a Scorpio, and we know the boys are Geminis. And what we know from that, which I know is, is an aspect used in human design is that they want to be like free to do what they want to do. And then so I was like, okay, my husband's a Scorpio, which can sometimes be a little um, wanting to kind of guide guide in more of a controlling way so i was like okay scorpios are definitely the mother hen like okay (laughs) this way here we go so that over there that is the extent of what what i know about our relationship with horoscopes Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm very fascinated to to get the human design dynamic of it yeah so we'll start with the type so the boys are manifesting generators This is uh, 37% of the population and then 33% of the population are generators. This is like a a type of uh, generator, but there's a certain energy connected from a motor to the throat. I know that's like, I don't know what they're talking about, but that's the the manifesting (laughs) generator. So uh, in a nutshell, the manifesting generator is a very busy body. They love to be busy playing and be very creative. That's probably where I like to do my own thing comes from. They do not like to go from A to Z. They like to maybe start in the middle of a project. Like they love shortcuts. Like I don't have time for this. Like I'm not going to read a book from front to cover. I'm going to probably skip to like the last chapter, read a bit, and they'll be like, oh, wait, let me go back a little bit. And like it's just a very free form, organic um and two, if you are a generator, which I, I could pull your chart. Yeah, me and my husband are both generators. Oh, so to you, you're like, what are you doing? That's backwards. What are you doing? Stop doing that. <laughs> you know, like if you're unconscious and you're especially if you're not parenting from a conscious method, you're like, no, that's not how you do it. And like you make them like mm. start back at the beginning. But they have a very unique way of experiencing life. And also they are just the total experimenters. So very tactile 
I don't know if they love to play with Play-Doh or things they, that are very tactile. They do. They're very hands-on, very, like, they like to fidget, do all sorts of things, and very yeah. high energy. And yeah. and they could, yeah, they can play independently, do a lot of that kind of play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is exactly it. And that's, you just want to encourage that um, as best you can. Not, don't try and control the process, which I know may be a little bit harder for your husband. It's like, allow it just to organically be experienced because they're a lot quicker. They don't need to make the Play-Doh to know what the Play-Doh does. You know what I mean? Like in a weird example, they may love to make Play-Doh. Like my man, Jen Child loves to make slime and she used to love to make Play-Doh, but it's just like, she won't go by a recipe. How about that? That's more of like the Manjin style. It's like, I don't need a recipe. I'm just going to add some glue here. I'm just going to add some activator here. Oh, I'm, oh shoot. I'm out of uh, activator. It's too slimy. Let me find something else. Oh, shaving cream, that works. Like, that's just the process. The creativity. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I know, especially my husband, he he believes there's a certain way to do it. There's a right way to do it. And you do it through that process. It's very like, it must be done very this generator. way. <laughs> yes. Very generator. I actually kind of, I feel like I kind of, I'm a mix of like, there is a way to do stuff, but I also like to just like wing stuff and just kind of throw myself into things and just and that do goes it back to conditioning right that goes back to maybe your mom was a man gen and so you watch that and you kind of mirror that or your dad i know my mother is a manifesting generator so a lot of people think i'm a manifesting generator like of my energy but i'm like no i'm a generator and they're like oh, that's <laughs> weird it's like we get to think about these things yes. you know are conditioned and that's so true from who we are modeling and what we see so that it also plays into their profile. So they have a number six slash three. The first number, like I was talking about, is that conscious. It connects to the point numbers after the sun and the earth on the black numbers on the right, the personality. That is the day they were born. That's their conscious personality type. So they are born leaders. Right now, they, you know, they may, they're going to exude leadership qualities. But they're still obviously in their first and second phases and not until they're like in their late 30s will they finally kind of step into a leadership role. Everything before that is experimentation. Okay. Tough, you know, depending on how you, you teach them, how you talk to them, sometimes learning through struggle is just part of the life process of someone who has a six or a three mm. in their profile. Okay. I also, also have, have a six too. Yes. Okay. So I can relate what to that. What is your second number? You know, I am a six two, um, and they're a six three. So yeah. oh, you heard six three. So the three is is that fun loving, like let's go have fun and do life. So they have that combined. They're very with fun. Their first <laughs> half of life is else. Yeah. So they have like double the fun right now because yes. it's they're in their three stage for their six profile. And yeah, so like I said, it's just learning through experiments, life experiences, adventures. I used to call my outings with my kids adventures, like just adventure is so fun. And that's the way to learn and and live life is through that. So that that kind of supports that man gen energy as well. Now, the other big key aspect to understand with your child to help condition them in the right way is how to make the 
the right choices for them. Mm -hmm. It's going to be small choices, right? Like what they want to eat, what they want to buy at the store, like what do they want for Christmas or things like that. Um, What I find yours are emotional. So that means that they need to take time in making their decisions. So don't rush them in making a yes or no or a a decision, a choice. Because what what you rush them into, they will regret most of the time. Sometimes if you're lucky, they won't regret it. But like I've experimented this with my daughter, who is a manifesting generator, and she has the emotional inner authority. And so at first she's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm so excited. Or you know, like we're talking about maybe doing signing up for ballet classes. It's like, yeah, I want to do ballet classes. And if you sign her up that moment in 24 hours, she's like, I don't want to do ballet classes anymore. And then as a parent, you're like, nope, you're doing them. I paid the money yeah. and <laughs> I signed you up. <laughs> so just don't commit to anything for your child or with your child. I mean, even play dates or birthday parties. This was a real struggle that I've had to learn to like, don't rush into saying yes to a birthday party share, you know, share the invite, especially she's older now. She's choosing. She has autonomy over her social life. Uh, she's eight. You know, do you, um, do you want to go to this birthday party? Yeah, I do. Okay. Let's just see, you know, tomorrow if you still want to go and then we'll reply. Like, so you're already setting up that pattern for the emotional authority for them to just know, like, I don't commit to anything right away. I, I think about it. You have to feel through the whole process. You have to feel excited, neutral. You have to feel like anxious and not sure or sad or mad about it. And then back up to the neutral cycle. So is that because they are excited about it first? They're, as children or adults, (laughs) more apt to say yes, right? More apt to say yes right away because it's that excitement. They're riding the the high, so to speak, high of the, the emotion. Ex- and then they, they, so they're coming full circle and realize actually, yeah, because that is so di- different than somehow some of us think, you know, it's like, yeah. we, like for me, I feel like, cause I think I have more of like the, the gut instinct I've been kind of told where like, I really know if I want to do it or not, but I need to listen to it, not, you know, try to people please or, you know, um, yeah. uh, but that is such a, a different kind of, aspect that is so interesting to learn about and i can see the value of of learning that because we're different and we assume like our kids think like we do but that's a perfect example how it's not the case yes and especially if you are a sacral authority or splenic it is pretty quick you know right away and it's kind of like foreign to you that they now are going to change their mind. Yeah. Why are you changing your mind? Like if you were that excited, I don't understand why you would change your mind. And I am sacral. So that might be part of that. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So all you have to do is ask your gut yes or no, and then feel the butterflies or feel the drop. And you're like, Mm -hmm. yep, that's it. But for the emotional, it is a motor. So this is that center that is a motor, just like the tide or the moon. So it has a very consistent. So if you just in your brain or in a journal log, when they're up and when they're down. Okay. And I've just in my brain logged when my kiddos are down. And I, I just kind of share like, it's okay. This wave will pass. Let's not discuss this existential crisis in your low, <laughs> your low emotional point. And we'll be able to really find a really great solution when you're, you're in your neutral point about this. So just also recognizing that they have a wave. It's consistent. Mm. Okay. And that they do set the tone in the room with that emotion. So if you're starting to feel angry for some odd reason and you don't 
like there's no source, you know, you're amplifying if you have it white. I think you do. If yours is sacral, you should have a white solar plexus. Otherwise, if you have it defined, then that is the override. That would have been your inner authority. And so it's like, don't let your child's temper tantrum, don't let the emotions that they're so upset that they didn't get this toy, like make you buy the toy because in five minutes, once you get home, they won't even play with a toy because they don't want it. And which is kind of like yeah. a kid trait anyways, but especially with the emotional. I have noticed just, with, oh. with the twins and especially maybe more one than the other, like they, they will get stuck in this and they're young, they're two and a half. So I think more of mm-hmm. this, I will see more of it will blossom, but I sometimes do see they yeah. really seem to really want something and then they go back. Like, I, I want it, put it, do this, and then no, don't do it. And then I want it. And it's like they get, I notice that they get stuck between what they want. Did they want to do the thing or not the thing? And it, it can, they kind of get stuck in this like loop of that. And I don't know if that has anything related to that or not, but it, I've noticed that more now that they are getting closer to three. Mm. It definitely sounds yeah. like that, that energy. And, <laughs> yeah. and they're so young still to they're know, so young, like, yeah. what is my neutral point? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're so up and down so many times. But mm-hmm. maybe in those quiet times when they're sitting or they're maybe even eating or right before bed, although that might be their low point. Yeah, you just have to start to really observe what's the pattern and what times that I have this you know, teeny discussion with them. Yeah. Yeah. The neutral, that's the happy the zone, like that's find the neutral <laughs> and that's where the decisions are made. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I saw that they're, they're emotional. And so me and my husband are non-emotional in the emotion aspect you have of our white. So you amplify it. So, which is kind of cool because you can be like a super mom and be like, I know how you feel because I'm amplifying it right now. But you also have to guard and not take it on. That's the hard part of having it open is like, don't give in, uh, hold your boundaries strong, even though you feel like this amplification of this really uncomfortable emotion. Once you're able to understand that energy dynamic, you can kind of put up a barrier and be like, I know what's happening here. You know, it's it's okay if we're all going to ride the wave together, but we're still (laughs) going to hold this boundary. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough, especially when that toddler stage. I did a lot of EFT tapping, by the way, to get through the emotional part because it would just send me like skyrocketing and I wouldn't know what to do. And then I would yell and then I would be like so sad that I was, you know, that I just yelled and I'd be like, I'm so sorry. And I would be crying. And I was like, okay, something's got to give here. I'm like amplifying their emotions double. It's really interesting. And this might change, right? And knock on wood or any superstition, but for, I I do feel like I have this gift to be very calm and there. And I feel like I need to do something on this because yeah, like their temper tantrums don't, they don't, I just, I just want them to feel better, but it doesn't, I don't get upset myself. Now I will get, I will get a little frustrated when it comes to if something's not safe or like heavy toys or objects are being thrown or something like that. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, but I think it's, I think part of that is because I had, I did the inner work and the kind of like the self-awareness and my childhood stuff, because, you know, because of that, I'm able to be kind of calmer, but I find, I find the dynamic a lot more difficult with my husband 
than like with the than with the twins where I can be like, okay, they're temper tantrum. And I think it's kind of that perspective for me is like, yeah, they're toddlers, they're still learning. But then we forget also adults are still learning too. <laughs> they're still yes. working out their their childhood too. So we're all, you know, yeah, in, in a part of that process still. So yeah. And finding the right timing to share with him, like yeah, when they get like that, you know, maybe you could, you know, breathe in and count to four and breathe out. You know, as long as everyone's safe, mm-hmm. let's just ride the wave and figure out what works for him. Maybe EFT tapping would work for him because that was something yeah. that really helped. It, me. it might because he like, yeah, yeah, he, he mm-hmm. definitely get goes right to the the stressed out, like the crisis kind of thing, especially he doesn't know what to do. And I, I'm kind of different where it's like, I know exactly what we need to do. But sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit slower on get like actually doing the thing, because I think my brain is already pro- is processing what the solution or how we navigate a tough situation. So if he's really good at like he reacts very quickly. So a lot of times I'll be like, this is exactly what we need to do to to end this situation and to make sure everybody's safe and resolve everything in, in a in a conscious parenting way. So my brain's all like processing it and then I'm like, okay, do this. And then he's like, okay, oh, we did it. And then he's like, this is so good. He's like, you need to share this with other parents. I'm like, well, I think yeah, we're a team though. We're a team. So that's a good time team. <laughs> And I was going to say, it depends on what your your square at the bottom looks like, the root, because if yours is uh, colored in, it is. Then you're pretty you're pretty chill, right? Yes, yeah, it's your adrenaline in. is chill. Is do you know if your husband's is white? I can color? I can look right now. Let's see my people. Because the white will rush in. The white is like pressure. Release the pressure. Well, we got to do it now. He's colored in too, though. So okay. I, I think it might be something else coming up then for him. The spleen also is another one. If you have the spleen defined and you have a certain gate defined, it's like boom, like you know what to do. Like survival mode uh-huh. instincts kick in. If it's that the um, triangle on the left, if that's colored in. So his triangle on the very left is colored in and mine mm-hmm. is also colored in. Mm-hmm. So I guess we have a lot of similarities with that. Yeah, you do. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I, it, it would do, do, how quickly he goes in could also be like a, maybe another gate or channel and or again, going back to our parental conditioning. I think that his parents has, has a huge. Actually, I know that has a huge influence, <laughs> huge, huge yeah. influence there. So, yeah, because even though we have it, the the defined are those those centers where like we have this energy innately within us, but those centers can also be conditioned by our parents through, you know, just constant over and over, like whatever they had defined. Um, so another defined can override a defined center. And then the white, anything that's white is considered open. Okay. And that is the biggest places for growth. It's going to be the biggest area of struggle mm. that we don't grow unless there's struggle. So like in your kiddos chart, I see the you they have a few gates defined, meaning they have some numbers colored in. Those are called gates. Okay. And so that's that gives them a little bit of definition in the spleen, that left triangle, which is related to immune system, safety. As they get older, they might start to exude that they have more fears that you're like, that's weird. Why do you fear that? You know, like my my little one, she she now at age eight won't ride elevators. Like all of a sudden she turned eight. She's like, I'm not riding elevators. They scare me to death. <laughs> We're taking the stairs. Like, 
okay, it's good exercise, I guess. Yeah, we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that when you have it white, it that there's a lot of fears in the spleen center. So that relates to like survival fears that you to fear is to survive because if you don't true. fear the tiger, then you die, right? So Very true. <laughs> that's where they go. And so your your kiddo's biggest area for growth is that tiny triangle that has no numbers colored in just to the right of the yellow diamond, which is the identity center. So this is the will center. <clears throat> this is the area for where agendas, disciplines, daily habits, willpower, that's where this energy resides. It's connected to the heart chakra. And so with it being open and all of the gates open, when they're around somebody else who has that defined and particular um, numbers defined, they, if they are not conscious and you don't teach them about this awareness, mm. and it'll kind of automatically happen, but they need to learn through it, then they're going to amplify that other person's agenda. So oh. they're going to be sold ice by an Eskimo if they're not careful as they're an adult, right? Like, she's like, oh, yes, it's so amazing. Let me buy some, even though there's ice sitting on the floor. So there's like this, this area for maybe again like once they get into school and like oh i you know they they hop on someone else's bandwagon about playing a certain game mm -hmm. and maybe it's not a good game or whatever like i don't know you know it's just something to keep in mind that this is a really great area for growth and something to teach them also maybe in developing discipline they need an accountability partner or someone to help them develop a certain habit or discipline because they have a variety of ways that they experience this willpower. And depending on who they're amplifying and around, that's well, what they're going to kind of take on and amplify. Oh, so it sounds like that they could be definitely influenced in, in certain ways, like what you were describing. Yeah. So like a, yeah. a friend might come over to a play date and be super bossy, or they might inadvertently attract a super bossy friend okay but they're also going to complain about it because that's not fun who wants a bossy friend yeah but they 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 will struggle a little bit with standing up for themselves okay. and saying no to whatever game that friend is trying mm. to push the agenda on that is something i care a lot about because as a child i even though mine is colored in on my chart that small triangle I felt like I was kind of conditioned to not speak up, not rock the boat in the family rules system and mm -hmm. and struggled. And, and exactly what you just described was me as a child. I would not, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to make a choice on what game we were playing or what activity. I went, I went with the flow with whatever my friends wanted to do. I never wanted to upset mm. anybody because I was felt like I was going to walk on eggshells. I better not upset anybody. Right. So. Because I care about that so much, that is one of my biggest missions to teach them is is not just a self-worthiness, but like, which is an aspect of it, but being able to speak up because it's okay to have a different choice. It's okay to have a different opinion. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's also okay. They don't have to like it, but that doesn't mean that you should have to change how you feel just to please other people. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of my big life lessons that I want to teach at a very young age, that self-advocacy piece. Yeah. And your open solar plexus, you personally, is really what also drove that. It's like, yeah. 
walking on eggshells, don't want to feel that, don't want to do anything that is against what you've been taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And plus that overriding agenda, like that's what I was talking about being the nice kid, like being the nice kid at school, I think is it's good to play with everyone, but you don't have to play with everyone. Like, yeah, sample everybody, but like, don't force all these kids to play with each other when a lot of the times they're pushing their boundaries and they're being so bossy and then they're still so young. They're trying to figure out how to say no because they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble because the teacher is going to say, well, you have to play with everybody. And it's like, but I don't want to. And that yeah. people are going to call me mean. Right. But it's Some, really important yeah. to develop that character of like, no, I don't want to play. Yeah, you don't have to. I don't want to play with you. Because that conditioning teaches all sorts of lessons. Like you have to, like some personalities or people just don't get along. And well, that's okay then. They they don't have to get along. I taught everything from preschool to uh, ninth grade. And when I was working in the middle school age kids, you know, I definitely saw like if a student you know, had the advocacy skills to tell their teacher, hey, I'm not comfortable doing a group project with so-and-so, please don't put me in the group. But a lot of kids don't have that or didn't have that. And then they are kind of in this conflict working on a project with a partner that's not being respectful to them or they're they're struggling with. And I And I feel like it's so interesting talking about what you just said about kids having to play because that that is one of the beginning stages of what we see later in the other grades of of social struggles and speaking up. So it's just fascinating yeah. that self-awareness of that. Yeah, I think and I think that's the biggest hurdle is being able to manifest that into words. Yeah. And I'm always telling her, like, don't care. And this is her open spleen. Don't be afraid of what other people are going to think of you. Don't be afraid that they're not going to like you like. Who cares if they don't like you, then that doesn't matter. You like yourself within yourself. You know, this is the right choice. So don't give in just just to be nice, you know, especially if that person makes you feel uncomfortable and always is bossing you around and, you know, you don't want to do what they're forcing you to do. That's kind of like the the because we were talking about empath earlier. That's kind of like the other side of the empath where it's like doing things to be nice because we don't yeah. want to, we care about other people. We don't want them to be happy and we don't want to hurt their feelings. But then it's actually, there's so much more to unravel with that. Our, yeah. our little <laughs> child, our inner child, we're not standing up for them then that we're ab- almost in, it's an abandonment of ourselves to please others. And also yeah. then people don't learn to respect us. They're like, okay, I can always get what I want from you know this person. Yeah. And so these kids are going through school or going through peer relationships and other children are going to take note. Okay. I can kind of, you know, and you mix it with a person who is a little bit more controlling or manipulative. And that's where the, these cycles start happening. Lo and behold, when our kids get into relationships with other people. Yeah. It starts now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's always been a thing, even with like when they were toddlers, physical touch was something of a boundary that we made sure that they had to consent to first. It wasn't an automatic hug, even if you're a grandma, grandpa. It's like, do you want a high five or do you want a hug? All their friends. And it was always like, you have to start when they're little with these little things that they can yeah. have their own autonomy because it, it just keeps evolving. And it's it's not like it's like, oh, yeah, magically they're like confident in elementary school, middle school. Like it's still something you have to continue to teach. Right. Yes. And these are these are like the the classes or the electives or whatever you want to call them that is not taught in school. 
one of the most important life skills to have is navigating the self and relationships. So it's just, a p- I feel like a strong piece of content or curriculum that is just not talked about. But yeah. as parents, and we even, can, so. And even yeah. with the emotional, we have an emotional counselor, it, I still feel like it's bent too much on quelling people being not nice. And it's not really giving the nice kids who are already naturally empathically nice, like these tools to stand up for themselves. Yes, yeah. That it's still not, that it's not balanced. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. Like the mean kids, well, you know what? And those mean kids need more. Like they're mean because they have anxiety. They have something going on at home. It's not like yeah. they want to be mean. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they just don't have the tool. A hundred percent. And as, as again, as like a middle school teacher, for a while, I, I definitely saw like when we saw things happen in the classroom, we it also made us think of the home life of the children. And, you know, when, when you're in that situation with a kid, it, it is easy to think like, oh, they're being disrespectful. They're being this, that they're difficult. But in reality, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. You're not seeing underneath the water of like what they're going through and they're probably calling out for help on some kind of level. Um, and that's how the adults talk at their home. Most likely they're, they're copying their, they're modeling that behavior. Yeah. So, yeah. And all of this is this weird, like energetic dynamic of tiptoeing around and trying to figure out how to survive and, mm-hmm. and get your needs met. Testing boundaries too. Mm-hmm. What What's acceptable here? Like, what can I get away? What can I do at home? What can I do here in school or whatever? You know, like it's all, it's all part of the journey. Yeah. And some will naturally be bossy. Like we're just talking about the willpower and some will yeah. naturally be like going with a flow, like, okay, whatever. So what do you, you know? think? Let's do what you want to do. So what do you think about the Jason Schuyler? Are they... Are they more go with the flow because they're of their triangle? That's, I think so. Yeah. 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 That's definitely something that you you are spot on with focusing in on them. And it's interesting how sometimes like our own personal experiences are perfect for our children's charts to help them with them in that area of life. Yeah. What I see with impasse specifically coming to me after narcissistic abuse is they have an open will center. They have an open solar plexus. And or it doesn't have to be all. I see open root center because scams and people who are trying to hook us in mm-hmm. use urgency. And that root center is like do everything okay. now to kind of like get the release of pressure, show my worth. Um, there's just a lot of rushing with that. I see. And the the open spleen center as well, just because there's this like I want to feel safe. You feel safety and. Sometimes the toxic, toxic cycle is familiar, so that does feel safe, or the toxic person has a defined spleen, and so you just kind of have that toxic codependency there. Well, that's super important to know, because it sounds like the boys have some aspect of some of those that you just described. Mm-hmm. So it's that is yeah, like so powerful. Helping them not worry about yeah. like rushing through stuff as they get into like their primary school of maybe rushing to get a I mean it's really great because then you they get their homework done sooner than later so sometimes it's a, a benefit right mm-hmm. but then other times okay. it's like don't worry like don't rush through it like like it's really like we have four days to, to do this let's take our time and it is good to help the manifesting generator understand that sometimes there is a method to the actual linear process and so sometimes they you know to learn to 
to do that as well is good. So it doesn't have to mean that they have to do it all the time, but sometimes, you know, doing it a different way is, is a good way. So, and they do have their identity center defined. I do see that open a lot um, with people who get caught in the wrong groups, the wrong crowds is when they have that white and open. Okay. So if you're listening, you're looking at your children's chart, the identity center also could potentially be one as well. All great areas that are white for you to focus in on their emotional growth and also going to be their superpowers once you've helped them master it because they're like, I've been scammed so many times. I can spot a scammer a mile away, right? And and you just constantly teaching them as well about it will help minimize the pain in life. I don't think we can eliminate it, but we can at least yeah. give them the tools to <laughs> help Nav- them through their own life experiences. Yeah. Na- navigate some of that and have something to yeah. be like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it might not make sense to yeah. them when they're little and then they experience it and they're like, oh, that's what you meant about this type of person, mom. I'm like, yeah, she's a narcissist. (laughs) They're like, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Or they'll be like, I have my older daughter has that identity center white and open. And what it does is it gives you like this superpower to kind of feel, amplify, right? How other people feel about their identities, kind of like a secret window into the self-worth insecurity security realm of a person and um yeah the other day there was there was something that some something finally came to fruition with someone who is quite toxic and she was like i knew there was something off about her it's like that's the thing with the identity center you can't verbalize it you can't quite get it but there's this you feel something off Mm. and then eventually it's like the connection (laughs) yeah and then the something will show manifest out into a situation that is so fascinating yeah i see that so i don't know if this is correct but i see the jason schuyler's life theme is the left angle cross of identification so and that's really interesting because it says identification and i'm curious how how that plays into like how i can kind of guide them to what they're calling from a young age, knowing that 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 is their life theme. Yeah, I'm looking at the gate. So we have the the number one. So what it's doing is it's linking this gate 16, which is their son over here. Okay. To their son in their subconscious 63 with the earth 64 and the earth gate nine. So it takes all of those cross references it. And this is a new one for me. I have a book of um, incarnation crosses. But the first gate is skills that it's connected to. So skills, and it's in the throat center. So this brown square, it's gate number 16 here. And it's a hanging gate. 63 is up in the head. So this is all about receiving information, processing information, gets pushed down into the ajna. So 63 is idea, not doubt doubt so we have doubt and confusion so really it's this constant like they're constantly processing information especially the gemini gemini's are constantly mm-hmm. researching they, they love quotes and reading and gathering information and then talking about it debating about it that's really something that gemini's are really skilled at is information okay the gemini is ruled by mercury mercury is all about communication 
reading, processing information, speaking, right? Like getting that information from the head out into the throat. They don't have that channel connected all the way to the throat. So it's that I think is where that incarnation cross comes into play. So they're going to take all that information and, and the doubts that they may be thinking in their in their heads, trying to process things, getting it down. That incarnation cross helps them get it out into the throat, which is this the the gate of skills. And the nine is the gate of focus. So they have this ability to really be able to focus in on that information hone it in as like a mastering of a skill and be able to kind of create some identification of some abstract ideas. Oh, okay. That's what it means. I wasn't sure what the identification meant because we were talking about individuality and like maybe like how you identify with yourself, but I, but I think it is, mm-hmm. it's different than how I was maybe interpreting it at first. Yeah. So th- that's interesting. They're able to that's how I conceptualize the gate. Yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah. And now I'm going to pull yeah. my book of destinies because it has all the incarnation crosses to see if that works. That kind of puts it all together. Your life theme is to become completely clear about what is important to you before you engage others. Yeah. They have a brilliant mind. Just because you have a brilliant mind does not necessarily mean that you have developed the wisdom, which mm-hmm. is going to be their three line. Uh, okay. They're going to be learning through experiences to gain the wisdom to then be a leader in life um, as adults to use it for the benefit of all. I did also look at their channels, these lines that are connected between the centers. They had two collective centers, which is where people really need to see them, right, to to witness them as a role model. And then the other one was a, I think it was an individual gate. I mean, and yeah. So the energy really is like, as they hone their skills and as they develop their wisdom, they can use it to share out into the world. That's so interesting. And I do wonder how that kind of like it is interesting to hear like they're going to have that kind of like leader role model at some point in their life because I know in human design like just because you have that in your path doesn't mean that you have it right away like for example for me being a you're 62 62 like I had I have to go through a few decades to and I'm still working on it now still stepping into that kind of that that wisdom and leadership and that role. So for them, it could be similar. They have to go through kind of like these different experiences, bumps to really um, put that together. So I I am very curious how that will play out for them, being that they are obviously identical twins, but they have different personalities. And I know they're still young, but I can kind of see it's like, oh, yeah, I could see how this could play out in the next few years, you know? Yeah. Depending through, see, all the people that we touch in our life, they they mold us in some way. And with a few of these open centers, those are going to be those amplification areas. So some might make friends with other people that mold them. And, you know, Skylar might make friends with a few others that mold them. And also depending on how you are going to do their their grades they're going to make friends in one class if they're in different classes they'll have friends in another which also may shape and mold and even if they're in the same class they're still going to probably 
have that amplification of energy from same friends or even have different groups of friends within the class. Like one might like one friend way more than the other. Like it's crazy how (laughs) a chart can look totally identical, but the lived experience and what's being attracted within the, the, the friends and the people that are attracted. It can be totally different. Yeah. And it's really interesting because one of my twins, he he is very good. um, Jace, he's very good at figuring things out, like physically anything in the physical realm he can figure out. And his brother, Skylar, kind of watches him to figure out, well, how did he climb that? How did he manipulate that? How did very tactile? And Skylar has kind of gifts where he's on the emotional intelligence scale where he's able to read others' emotions. He knows when when his brother's upset and he knows what to do about it. Like, okay, he wanted that toy. Okay, well, I'll share it. It's not a big deal because I can just get that toy later. And he's only two and a half and he has that that ability. Wow. And his brother then watches that and goes, oh, he's doing this over, over, over again with me. And then he starts to do it a little bit too. So they kind of watch each other for their their own unique strengths. And so I can see them being kind of like, yeah, like a leader or role model in their own ways. And as they they get older, different strengths will emerge and different things will develop beyond that. Of but, course. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool to see how it's mm-hmm. manifested differently. Yeah. Yeah, definitely just different. Yeah, different reactions to things and different problem solving in different ways. So. And then they have each other to play off of each other, which is highly unique. So it's it's very cool. Yeah, that is so cool. And just the awareness is key. I mean, you don't have to know human design through and through and in and out, but just having the basics awareness of the the centers, you know, how they're interplaying with you and your child, their type. And understanding their inner authority. You don't even have to know their profile. That's, I feel like that's a bonus. Okay. Knowing their type, guiding them with their inner authority, and then understanding their, their open centers versus defined centers. So, you know, to the same token on the opposite coin, you have a defined will child. And, you know, from my experience, I personally have an open will. You know, that if you're going to really want to get something done, you're going to bring in your partner who has a defined will. Because, you know, you're not going to win that, like, you know, brush your teeth, go to bed kind of energy push. Like, I just know, okay, daddy, can it's time to take a bath now or whatever. He says it, they they go like this. How I do, say it five times and they're still doing whatever they want to do. <laughs> how do we know? Uh, can you remind us? How do we know if any parents are looking at their chart? How do we know if they have a defined will? It'll be colored in. And which and, it's and which red. one is the that? tiny triangle. The, the, the tiny, tiny triangle on the right. to the right like <laughs> yeah, down okay. to the right from the yellow diamond. Okay. Right next to the yellow diamond. So you're saying if that one is colored in, they have a defined Yeah. You have a very strong willed uh, child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes lots of patience. And I remember when they were toddlers and I would be home alone when he was at work. I would have to count. I'd be like, that's the only way I can get them to go do something. It's like ten. No, no, I think I started at like five. Countdown from five. I never got to one. So it's so funny how they didn't even test the consequence. (laughs) That is really cool. I love that. And I love all the insights that that come with that. And I feel like my favorite takeaway um, from my reading with the twins is just like their emotional processing 
time, which is like a huge insight. So I am super grateful because I would never have known or thought about that. And um, so thank you so much, Raven, for sharing your knowledge with human design. And I know you're on a mission to, to help parents better understand their children so we can support them with how they naturally are and guide them in a way that works for them. And that is kind of like the essence of human design, right? Like it's what works for the individual person. We're all unique. Yeah. And just being aware of that and being respectful of that. I just, I find that it's just such an incredibly powerful roadmap. It's like when you're asking why, I would just always go back to the chart and kind of study it a bit more and be like, okay, maybe this is happening. Let's experiment with this now versus just always, you know, experiencing parenting through insanity means where it's like you keep doing the same thing over and over and you keep getting that same unhealthy response. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see that, especially with that specific example. If, you know, a parent were to say, okay, are we going to this party? Are we doing this thing? And then it's like, yes. And then you invested time, money, and then they're like, no, not really. That parent could become very upset and go to maybe some old parenting styles or, you know, their their childhood where parents yelled or threatened or say, well, we're never going to do this again. And it can go down this kind of darker road. So okay. that is also why this is so important is because it's like, you know, our our children are not, they're not trying to, they, they think differently and they're not trying to upset us and even though it's understandable why we are upset ourselves, that we're allowed to be upset too, however, to under, really understand what works for our child. So then, like you said, we're not like in a groundhog day of always the same. <laughs> yeah. I really feel like yeah. that constant groundhog day of like, mm-hmm. especially not conscious parenting or trying to conscious parent, but you're just like still stuck in this weird rut. It's like once you gain that awareness and a tool, like, no, now I can just adjust it here, there. And just adjusting it just a few degrees is all that it needs to get out of that toxic rut. Because the toxic rut then kind of develops toxic adults. You know, it's just, even if the most well-intentioned parents, it's just sometimes it happens. Yeah, that's a perfect example how something could happen, even if you're trying to be a conscious parent. Because our perspective, we perceive others think through our perspective. And that's my favorite aspect of human design is no, different things work for different people. Yeah, maybe, you know, sitting or eating or maybe, you know, eating and moving around or like, I just love all the oh, different yeah. aspects of like, there's so well, there many is aspects a whole that tiny are so detail interesting, right? In the chart where it actually yeah. tells you your particular digestion style, oh. your particular environment. Which is so cool because sometimes some kids need a certain environment called caves where it's like they feel safe in their classroom or in their room where it's like a one entrance, one exit scenario versus like being in the middle of everything and everyone's going in and out of whatever, you know. That's very understandable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is a real thing, too. And as a classroom teacher, the placement of of students could change the whole class itself, the whole dynamic of the class, because we know as, as teachers. That's why we would move the children on the chart because we're like, okay, this dynamic or this table isn't working or this and then rearrange. Okay, now now we're in more a little bit more harmony, at least temporarily. So, yeah, so there's so much truth to that. Oh, my gosh, this was so much fun, Raven. I had a blast talking to you about human design and learning more about empaths. 
So thank you so much. And uh, is there anything else you would like to share with us before we wrap up? It was just such a pleasure being here and sharing with you about how human design really can help you just be an even more conscious parent. I think the the superpower of knowing and, and you get now why Ross said this is for the children. It really is know, for the children. That is so fascinating. I never knew it and was it, for children or it was. So what he developed. said. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Like this isn't for us. This isn't for us <laughs> adults. This is for the children. This is for the future, right? This is another aspect, another layer you can add on to your conscious parenting to really help, yeah, bring awareness to to yourselves. And then ultimately, right, we all do. We bring awareness to the collective. So it is a big passion. Hopefully I'll be writing a, a book about this next, but I've got to get my second one out and my baby out and grown up before I can get the third one <laughs> written about that. Well, keep us posted. We'll all be looking forward to that parenting book. I'll be the first to buy it. Let me know. And uh, you know, we will. My friend's like, when are you writing that book? <laughs> yeah, that'll, it'll be so good. But we got to we got to give time to your your second book, right? The one that you. Yeah. You you put that book out in November. I think it was. Yeah, that one has yeah. the basics about human design, like all about how to read through your chart. So you could take your child's chart and go through that book and really understand like the basics of human design and what this is. Yeah. So right. That will be good. All right. Well, we will link yeah, in, uh, the important links to, to find Raven in the show notes of this podcast. And thank you so much. And that wraps up another episode filled with tools and insights to help your parenting journey have clarity and ease. Remember, every child is unique and so is our experience, especially when there's more than one. Keep celebrating those small victories and learning along the way. I'm Heather, your Twin Mama Guide, and until next time, here's to raising skilled, self-regulated toddlers who listen, learn, and love. Take care and see you soon.